We will now read today's scripture reading from 2 Samuel 7, verses 18 through 24. In our Pew Bibles, this is on page 259. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that you have brought me thus far? And yet this was a small thing in your eyes, O Lord God. You have spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come. And this is instruction for mankind, O Lord God. And what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O Lord God. Because of your promise and according to your own heart, you have brought about all this greatness to make your servant know it. Therefore you are great, O Lord God, for there is none like you, and there is no God besides you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. And who is like your people Israel, the one nation on earth whom God went to redeem to be his people, making himself a name and doing it for them, great and awesome things, by driving out before your people, whom you redeemed for yourself from Egypt, a nation and its gods. And you established for yourself your people Israel to be your people forever. And you, O Lord, became their God. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. We continue our series in 2 Samuel. And uh, last week we looked at the Davidic covenant in verses 1 through 17. Um, we'll be covering the next section, uh, but covered how important that was last week to talk about because that is kind of a foundation of our Christian faith with God's promise that the Messianic king would come from the line of David and without that promise, we don't have our faith. Now, I think most of us see the value in studying the entire word of God and there may be others who wonder why uh, we look at the Old Testament. I've received that kind of feedback before. Like, aren't we new covenanters? Don't we believe in the gospel? Why do we look back in the Old Testament? Um, Paul wrote this in Romans chapter 15, verse 4. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Paul wrote Romans in the first century and wrote about what was written in the former days prior to the first century. And that Old Testament is for our instruction today. That through endurance and through the encouragement of those scriptures, we might have hope. And just as Paul wrote that whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, David has these words recorded for us in verse 19 of 2 Samuel chapter 7. This is instruction for mankind. And we'll circle back to that a little later. Uh, let's first get our bearings as to what the background is of our verses this morning, in case you weren't here last week. So David found favor with God by overtaking Zion. Now, Zion is this 11-acre piece of land that has never been taken over by God's people until David took it over. And with this favor, David wanted to build God a temple because throughout the history, God has been in a tent, and the ark has been dwelling in a tent. And so he wanted to build a more fixated fixture for God to be in, and he offers this, and God's response is, no, I don't want that. 
And it reads this in verse 11. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. So David, you're not making me a house. I am making you a house. And what God is speaking about is making David this dynasty of kings. And all of these kings will eventually die. All of these kings will sin until the ultimate king, Jesus, who conquers death and conquers sin. And so this is the background that is significant because we're moving into a prayer that David gives to God in today's verses. And, and here is, is founded on the words and the vision of God to, to, that was given to, to him by the prophet Nathan. And so he receives these words and then he goes back and he speaks to God about these words that he's received from the prophet Nathan. So picking up here in verse 17, in accordance with all these words and in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. And after he received these words and this vision from Nathan, it's verse 18. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said. Now you notice this word, then. David didn't begin this prayer until these prophetic words were shared with Nathan. And some of our prayers are like this where, where the word of God gives us clarity on what to pray for just like it did David. And sometimes we don't have a, a clear vision of, of where the Lord is leading until the word of God reveals that to us. So where did David exactly, where did he go? Well, he probably went into the tent. And he probably went there where the, where the ark of God was and he dwelled in this tent in verse 2. The verb for dwell in verse 2 of chapter 7 and the verb sit in verse 18 are the same verb in Hebrew. And David is sitting with God after hearing from God and he responds in prayer. This is a, a common pattern in prayer. Not that this is a formula with our perfectly placed words, but that you're in the presence of God, dwelling with God, communing with God. It's sharing your desire whether you are able to utter it or not, whether you are able to express it or not. And it's kind of like when a child is wanting to share something with their parent, but they don't know exactly how to go about sharing with those words. You know, they, they come into the presence of their parent and they have this purpose of wanting to share their desires and engaging with their parents with these desires, even though they don't know exactly what they want to say. And so this is David. He goes into the tent and he sits before God. And then he asks God, verse 18, Who am I, O Lord? And what is my house that you have brought me thus far? So who is David? We know some things about David. We're given... David's physical attributes in 1 Samuel chapter 16. Handsome guy, big eyes and all this kind of stuff. You know, like, it's like Old Testament GQ, I don't know. And we know that he was chosen by God and anointed by the prophet Samuel. We know that he fought Goliath and he won. We know he was crowned king of Judah first and then king of Israel. And if you just kind of broke down his resume, it's, it's pretty impressive up until this point. Like, you know, you read this guy, you're like, whoa, this guy is pretty awesome. But as we read on in like a couple of chapters, you're going to know this guy's far from perfect. And as far as like a bestie or anything like that, if you're a guy, you're like, yeah, I don't want him around my family. Right? You're just being honest. Like, I don't trust this guy. He might kill me. And... The thing is, David knows this about himself in terms of the person that he could be. He knows that he's not perfect. He knows he's a sinner. And he asks God, who am I? Who am I? 
who am I, O oh Lord, and, and what is my house? What, what is all this stuff that I've been given that, that you, you gave this to me? And who am I to deserve this? And so David wondered why God blessed someone like him. Because if you look at his family, he doesn't come from a prominent family. He doesn't come from nobility. He doesn't come from royalty. He is the youngest son out of several sons in a culture who values the oldest son. He's not supposed to be the leader. In fact, he's given the lowest job possible by the family. You're going to be the shepherd boy. Go take care of the sheep. And while your brothers are out in battle, you bring them food. Like that, That's David. And so David saw himself as that. He saw himself as undeserving, lowly. I'm the youngest. I, I wasn't even chosen to go out to the battlefield. My family's not that much to talk about. And everybody else knows where David comes from and where he is now. And God told Nathan the prophet to tell David this, 2 Samuel chapter 7, starting verse 8. Now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. David knows the Lord very well. When David wrote Psalm 121, he, he lived that. And I'll just read the first and last verses of that very well-known psalm. Verse 1, a song of ascents, I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? Now, the last verse in that psalm, the Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. And he lives that psalm out. His prayers reflect this, that David's confidence is in God. And you look at 1 Samuel chapter 17 when he fought Goliath, starting in verse 43. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. And David got to where he was from his humble beginnings because he realizes God put him there. It wasn't he that was so special and he did something to get there. He knew that. He knew who, where his family came from. He knew where he was in the birth order. He knew that he didn't have anything great. Can't the same thing be said of any of us? You are where you are at right now because of the grace of God. And there's nothing more to it. Some of you might have some backgrounds where you're just questioning, like, yeah, you know what, I, I don't have a great background. I, you know, look at my life. Like, why is this something to be so happy about or so great to celebrate? Some of us should be dead. You shouldn't even be here. Your value, your worth, isn't in what you own. Your worth and your value aren't even in who you are. Your worth and your value are actually not in you. It's completely in God. You are precious to God. He adores you. When John the Baptist was preaching and changing the lives of so many people around him, 
the priests and the Levites are just wondering, like, why are all these people attracted to that guy? Like, he's just eating organic, pasture-raised food and just, like, you know, wild honey and locusts that he just picks off. Like, what's up? And, he and his clothes, it's like, he just wears hemp clothes. Like, what, what's going on? And he, they go to him and they, they, they ask, who are you? This guy's a totally unknown, right? If, if you went onto LinkedIn, it would have nothing. Like nothing. There's no rec- record of this guy. And there's no search engines back then. And it's so different from today, right? Like today, you'll go look up somebody and you, you'll, you'll just look them up on LinkedIn and it's just like, check me out. I'm awesome. Like look at, look at all the classes I've done, all the certifications, all my experience. I am so awesome. You want to hire me. Call me, recruiters. Like come on. That's all, that's all we are today. Like, we, we just, we just want to show ourselves off. Like, like, take a look at us. We're so great. Everything about us. Take a look at Isaiah 66 too. But this is the one to whom I will look. This is the Lord speaking. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. You know, people can be so proud looking to lift themselves up, looking to make themselves more important than they really are. And it's John the Baptist who said this in John chapter 3, verse 30, he must increase, but I must decrease. He's speaking of his cousin Jesus. And this is not the attitude of the world at all. It's not the attitude of some in the church who have kind of their own agendas to push forward where we're so consumed with just look at me rather than look at God. And David questions this first prayer and he enters and the first thing he asks is, who am I? Who am I? It's just this position of humility. He, he doesn't demand and he doesn't say, God, I'm king, so you gotta listen to me. I'm the king of all this stuff. Look at what I did. And he doesn't go out broadcasting to everybody else either. Look what God did through me. I'm so awesome. No one was able to take over Zion for generations, ever. Nobody. I did it. I did it. I took over this thing. It's all me. He doesn't say any of this stuff. And then verse 19, and yet this was a small thing in your eyes, O Lord God. What? What, David? Small thing? Nah. That 11 acre parcel of land? That's not a small thing. For hundreds of years, no one in, in your predecessors and all since Abraham could not take this over. And you did. You, you did do that. And he's king. But he realizes it's God who brought him all this way from those humble beginnings. And, and he still sees that God, that's not all God has in store. It was just to take over Zion and this 11 acre of land. There's, there's so much more that is going to be done. And the ultimate outcome isn't that he's a king. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 16. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. How many of us are just caught up with what's in front of us? Like this, this is all that's in front of us. And this is all we're caught up with. How, mon- how many of us lose sight of this eternal perspective? All of us. We all lose sight of this. 
All people, we, we're preoccupied with what is happening to us right now. We're, we're consumed with the events, we're consumed with circumstances, we're consumed with everything that's happening around us right now. And even though those things can be really important and they are real and you feel it. But just take thousands of steps back and look at what you're going through in the span of eternity, just like David does, even though he is king and he's done something that for generations has never been done. It is small. It is done small. You know, my kids love to tease me about my age. And the hilarious thing is they love listening to 80s music. So they like asking me this question, hey dad, how, how old were you when that song was playing? And so especially when we're, you know, Stranger Things and, and they hear this song, they're like, oh, that's a cool song. Hey dad, how old were you when that song was going? And I was like, how do you know if I was even alive? Like, come on. But I was. And so, you know, the new Top Gun movie comes out and, you know, I had the record in seventh grade. Like that was, was your record, yes, the vinyl record, Tom Cruise, like that, all that stuff. And they watch this new Top Gun movie, and, and I know all the songs that are just remixes of like the old stuff, and they're like, how do you know this stuff? And I was like, well, you know, I was in seventh grade. I have a seventh grader. And she was like, man, you're old. And I was like, I'm not that old. Tom Cruise is still a fighter pilot. Come on, what's, what's not that old? And, they, you know, they listen to 50s music, and Grandma listens to 50s music. She grew up on 50s music, and they like that too, but not as much as the 80s, of course. It's just awesome. And so they play piano and they, they play these pieces from like the 16th century, 17th century, 18th century, and all this stuff. And so it, what it forces them to do, it forces them to look back and take thousands of steps back. And even though they enjoy their music in 2022 and it's impactful to them today, like all this Olivia Rodrigo breakup stuff, and so all the stuff, and, and they take a step back and they get this bigger perspective of what is good and they realize like, oh yeah, your, your stuff is kind of good compared to our stuff. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> like, don't get so myopic with what's in front of you and think that what you have is the most important thing or the best thing or the biggest thing or whatever it is. That you do have to take many steps back to see things through the eyes of eternity and you just imagine what God does who sees all things for all time. And not just us, October 16th, 2022 at 10.35 a.m. See, David sees things from the eyes of eternity. And yes, Zion has never been taken over in the span of generations until he did it. He did defeat the Philistines and saved many, many lives by defeating Goliath. He was a shepherd boy who did become a king. Really, really big, really real, important events for David. And this must have been just the apex of David's life. Like, how can it get any better? What more is there? You're going to find out in two chapters how real that statement is that pride becomes, comes before the fall. And then in verse 19, yet at this point, he's humble enough, and he says, and yet this was a small thing in your eyes. All that stuff is a small thing? Oh, Lord God, you have spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come, and this is instruction for mankind, oh, Lord God. See, David's essentially saying, I, I recognize there's way more. 
this is so small. What we're going through in history is just kind of a blip in what you have planned in eternity. And the things that God spoke about regarding his servant's house for a great while to come is what we looked at in verses 11 through 16 last week. And there's this constant realization from David that, God, you are great. Who am I? Who am I? King David is who he is, but even though a king, he knows I am merely a servant of God. And it's clear to me who I serve. And the significant realization isn't that David recognizes this, but that God recognizes this. Take a look at 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 5. Go and tell my servant David, this is God speaking, thus says the Lord, would you build me a house to dwell in? Now, why is this significant that God recognizes his servants because for God to call you out as a servant puts you in very exclusive company for God to call you a servant you are in a rare who's who category hall of fame because the Bible only mentions a few people as his servant God only names a few by title as servant. It's Abraham, Moses, and Caleb, and David up until this point. That is it. So you want to be called this, right? Like if God says, my servant, oh yeah, like I I made it, like this is it, right? But probably that response of I made it probably disqualifies you anyway. But anyway, (laughs) but he is one of four at this point in all of humanity since Adam up until David he is one of four called a servant by God take a look at Luke chapter 17 starting verse 7 will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field come at once and recline at table will he not rather say to him prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink and afterward you will eat and drink Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? See you also when you have done all that you were commanded, saying we are unworthy servants, we have only done what was our duty. When early Christians were divided and and they were debating about the greatest leaders of the early Christian church and, and about who they were following and, you know, hey, Apollo's way better than Paul. I, I follow Apollo, you know, he, he, he's, uh, he's much nicer. And, uh, and it was like, no, Paul is better. Paul's just direct. He'll tell you how it is. You know, he's just direct. He doesn't flower speech or nothing. He'll just tell you how it is. And then 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5, Paul writes this. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. You know, he recognized his place. I'm not the special one, Apollos. I'm not the special one. We're, we're servants. That's all we are. Looking at the wrong people and looking at ourselves all wrong, you know, eyes, eyes are on God as master, and we are his servants. Now continue on in verse 19, 2 Samuel 7. And yet this was a small thing in your eyes, O Lord God. You have spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come, and this is instruction for mankind, O Lord God. What is this instruction for mankind? The plan for God's kingdom is how the universe will be, will be blessed. And this blessing will come through David and the lineage of David for the benefit of all 
mankind. And it's not just for David's kingdom. This is for all humanity, for all time. And this instruction for mankind, humankind, through the prophet Nathan to David has all these ramifications for all humanity, for all time. And this promise that God made to Abraham all the way back in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3 is this, I will bless those who bless you and, I will, and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That promise is being fulfilled through David and David goes into this tent to talk to God and he sees how small he is. He says, who am I? Who am I? And that God is way bigger than he is that God has done a lot through him and through that finite time period that God has used David, he still has eternity in mind. That through one person in David, God has all these people in mind through all time, and yet he still says, who am I? You know, there are so many people who would have responded really differently because we, we think we're really great. We think we're more important than we really are. And that's not David, at least not at this point. He's humble. And he knows he's just a small part in God's eternal plan. And he knows all of this because of faith. Faith because what God has promised hasn't happened yet, yet he still believes it. Right? Jesus is not born yet. Jesus incarnate. And here we are. We have the gospel. We know more than David ever knew. We have more available to us than David ever had. See, he didn't, he didn't have the gospel while sitting in that tent talking to God. He didn't have anything. Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 30. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. You see, knowing the word of God helps us gain clarity, and without it, it's all going to be very blurry. The word of God has to direct your vision, has to direct your thinking. It is not people. People don't define that for you. The word of God does. And the kingdom of God centers around a king. And this king, Jesus, to whom 2 Samuel chapter 7 addresses with this Davidic covenant made by God. Let's continue on 2 Samuel verse 20. And what more can David say to you? This is... Um, Kind of weird, David's talking to himself. For you know your servant, O Lord God, because of your promise and according to your own heart, you have brought about all this greatness to make your servant know it. See, what God does is not because we're so worthy or we're so smart or we're so blessed or we're so anointed or we're so whatever, right? We're not that significant, no one is. I mean, if David can see this, who am I? Everyone else should be able to see that. That God does what he does because it is God who is worthy. It is God who is gifted. It is God who is significant. It's because of his own promise, according to his own heart, that he has brought about all this greatness. And it's not because people are all that special or all that great. God made a promise to Abraham and David, and he keeps his 
promises, that God is faithful. That's who is great. The promise giver and the promise keeper. Lamentations chapter 3 verse 22. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new. Every morning great is your faithfulness. And God said to Abraham in Genesis 22, starting in verse 17, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offsprings as the stars of the heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore, and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. That's back in Genesis, and then we can fast forward all the way to the last book, Revelation. Revelation chapter 7, starting in verse 9. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and people and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And that is God's promise from his word, how do we know that we are forgiven? How do we know God even receives our worship? How do we even know these things? Because it's God's promise according to his own heart. It's nothing you and I do. This is God's promise. Verse 21, because of your promise and according to your own heart, you have brought about all this greatness to make your servant know it. It is God's heart. It is not about our heart. This is something that I think a lot of people misinterpret about heart. 1 Samuel chapter 13, starting in verse 14. This is a very well-known thing, and we quote this all the time about David being a man after God's own heart, right? But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. God chose David. David has a place in the heart of God. It's not the other way around. It's not that God has a place in David's heart that is significant. You and I are fallible. You and I are going to die. Why is that even important? The significance is that David has a place in God's heart. That's the important piece. And if it's all about God having a place in David's heart, we're going to all be really disappointed in a couple of chapters because we're going to find out, whoa, what happened to the heart? Whoa, 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 wait, what? Just two chapters ago, you're all praying in the tent, dwelling in the, who am I, God? And now you're just like, not doing so good, David, doing pretty bad. So what does it mean to be a person after God's own heart? See, it's not about David's heart being filled with God. It's about God's heart being filled with David, being filled with you, being filled with me, that we are on his heart, that that's who God is. Remember last week, like, we're always on God's mind. He's always thinking about it. We're always on his heart. Back to verse 21 again. Because of your promise and according to your own heart, you have brought about all this greatness to make your servant know it. And so David's prayer starts with this. Who am I? Who am I? And it ends with verse 22. Therefore you are great, O Lord God, for there is none like you, and there is no God beside you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. And so what have we heard with our ears? 
We've heard God's promise, this Davidic covenant. We've heard God's word, right? Back to Romans when, where we started, that all the prior instruction. We, we have all of that. And then Romans 10 verse 17, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And this is how evangelism and this is how discipleship work. Preaching, hearing, believing, and living. That's, that's what it is. That's, that's our life. And people have always been prideful and arrogant and doing things their way and interpreting things their way and, and just kind of living the way, the, the way that they want to. And people have always been arrogant to think that their generation is better than past generations. We're all guilty of that. So no matter what generation you were, you thought that past generations were, they were outdated and, and those things are obsolete and so much of history is just being discredited and so there are people who are looking to just deconstruct history and so much of history is being rewritten and it's being reframed. There's really no problem with that if the history that we were told and we were taught was false to begin with and we're, we need to do that. But the key thing is that it, it has to be truthful. It has to be truth. And the tricky part of all that is distinguishing what is true. Like what really did happen? Not, not based off of like what we want now and then we reframe and we redo all that kind of stuff based off of how we feel about things now. Because we might feel that we're so enlightened right now and we know everything so well and what we stand for is the epitome of what we should stand for. But just two generations from now, they're going to look at this generation like, you're so dumb. I can't believe you guys thought that. How silly. And they're going to rewrite their own thing, Right? Like, let's not be so arrogant to think, like, we got it all. Our generation has all the answers to everything that's happening. See, how much of history can really be trusted if Christ is left out of it? If you leave Christ out of the history books, how much of the history can really be trusted? Because it's obvious it's true. Like, no one's going to deny that Jesus existed. Like, who would do that? It's the greatest story that has ever been told and it needs to be shared with kindness and boldness. It needs to be shared unashamedly and it needs to be preached. It needs to be heard. It needs to be believed. It needs to be lived because it's for all instruction, for all mankind, for all eternity. It is a promise according to God's own heart that he's given to us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, forgive us of our arrogance. Forgive us of being so myopic with just being stuck with what's happening in our lives right in front of us, that there's so much more to it, that if we would just take many steps back and see, that we would be able to realize and come to our own rhetorical questions of who am I? And to recognize your promise and to recognize your heart and I recognize, Lord, that there are some people here who have a lot of things they're carrying with them that are hurtful and painful, that have caused a lot of suffering, that are just not pleasant. That being said, to be able to hear your promise and to hear your heart and to know that you are on their side that things can change, that things are 
not meant for just today, but you have eternity in mind. So, Lord, help us to be able to recognize your greatness, how small we are. That even a King David, who had so much going for him and had so much, was able to still recognize that. And yet, even those of us who are pretty far from being a king or anything that David did, yet we somehow feel so important when even a king recognizes to be in front of you and to dwell in front of you and to ask, who am I? Lord, help us in Jesus' name. Amen. If any of you are wanting in need of prayer, uh, Mike is in the left front pew. He'd be honored to pray with you, and Suzanne is in the right front pew. At this time, we're going to move into a time of communion. So if you need the communion elements, please raise your hand, and we'll get that over to you. That top layer is a wafer symbolizing the body of Christ. This Davidic covenant made back in 1 Samuel chapter 7, but actually with an Abrahamic covenant back in Genesis and just being continued to fulfill and filled in Samuel. And then not until we reach the Gospels where Christ kind of like makes this visualize, helps us to visualize it in terms of this is my body broken for you at the Last Supper. I love taking this reminder every week because it's just that. To remind us how small we are, like who am I, because people have been doing this since the first century. I mean, can you imagine the billions, trillions of times that people have done this? And yet we partake in this kind of sacrament to continue to remind us that the ultimate king is coming to set everything right. Let's take this in remembrance of Christ. The fruit of the vine symbolizing the blood of Christ. His blood spilled for us. So that that Davidic covenant where Jesus conquers death, Jesus conquers sin for all eternity is made available to us. Take this in Jesus' name. Lord Jesus, thank you for these symbols as a constant reminder to us that we we take this regularly and, and sit before you. We dwell with you. So Lord, may you speak clearly to us. May we hear you and live accordingly in Jesus' name. Amen.